from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the weekly internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Carl Franklin introducing show number 19 with guest Bob Raudebush, recorded Thursday, August 2nd, 2007. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pop Productions, offering professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. Hi, you're listening to Run As Radio at www.runasradio.com. My name is Richard Campbell, and I'm here with Greg Hughes. That would be me. How are you guys doing? All is well, sir. And I've been working hard on the plan for TechEd Barcelona. Really? Yeah. Tell me about it. We are going to spend the whole week at the IT Forum in Barcelona, and they're going crazy there. They've had so many people sign up for it already, and it's not until the second week of November. Well, that's great. But they're expanding the venue. They're using tents. They're stretching the whole thing out. It's it's going to be quite spectacular. And uh, we're definitely signed up for Speaker Idol, so we're going to be the host for Speaker Idol. Which is a lot of fun. Yeah. You you saw that at uh, TechEd US. Yep. And so we're doing a similar thing, uh, although this is all IT professionals, so the topics will be quite different. And Right. Yeah, that's kind of cool about TechEd Europe is, uh, I think, is it, correct me if I'm wrong, the first week, it's two weeks, and the first week is developers. That's right. And the second week is IT. All IT pros, that's yeah. right. And and the IT pro show is actually bigger than the dev show, which is amazing to me. Huh. But uh, it's actually a really good year for TechEd for the IT guy. I mean, there's so much going on right now. It's amazing, really. Go through these waves of infrastructure changes, and um, definitely there's been a lot of new technology over the last couple of years has been introduced and is really starting to find its place. Right. So uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of cool stuff this uh, fall. I'm looking forward to it. I have a big email, and I really battle with whether I should edit this thing down, but actually right. it's a really cool story, and it ties into today's show. So I couldn't resist reading it. It sure does. I, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's worth taking the time to go through the whole thing. All right, let me tell the whole story then. Guys, your State of Virtualization podcast was great. I like how you discussed the pros and cons of virtualization, but you missed one important point throughout your discussion. What about the benefit of virtualization on disaster recovery? I have been in the virtualization crusade at our data center for the past 13 months. Prior to virtualization, we basically purchased a Dell blade for every new product slash application that was released by our company. One of the challenges we faced was server consolidation. Management wanted us to consolidate as many servers and services to as many physical machines as possible to reduce the total number of physical boxes. This project took about six months to complete, and we achieved our goal, but introduced new challenges along the way. Been there. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I can relate to that, that, you know, you know, going to blades, and blades are terrific technology, but replacing physical hardware with physical hardware can be complicated. Yeah, and you always get punished for everything you change. The problem was that we frequently faced incompatibility issues with running different applications side-by-side side or having to create multiple websites on a single server. For example, some of our installation setups expected us to always install under the default website. This added extra steps just to get any application to work. It was trial and error most of the time. 
In addition, we frequently negatively impacted unrelated applications during our upgrades because of required server reboots, etc. It was very challenging and really not worth the effort or any cost savings. I think that experience is a really good one to, to really to really think about and to try to understand. All those developers out here uh, that, that listen to this show in addition to the IT people, I think that's a good one to take note of is, is um, you know, think about flexibility and deployment. Um, that It really does make a big difference. You bet. We later decided to take the plunge and begin virtualizing all our server applications. It was difficult to get management's approval and funds just to get the minimum hardware upgrades. Especially if you've just spent all that money. Yeah, you just did all that other upgrading. Uh, for example, going from 2 gigabytes to 4 gigabytes, from upgrading from 36 gig drives to 300 gig drives, and so on. With persistence and with the added benefit of corporate mandating that we used virtual disaster recovery environment for our yesterday customer testing, I was able to convince the powers that be that this is what we needed to do. It still wasn't easy, though. Our product and application group, who didn't have any experience with virtualization, was against this from the start. Most application-related issues were immediately blamed on some sort of server-specific issue, for example, high CPU utilization or not enough memory. Many of our applications had bugs and or memory leaks, which required nightly server reboots or IIS resets. We eventually stopped discussing server resources with other departments. Our goal was to treat server resources as application pools, and we never told them how much memory or CPU a server had available for any given application or how many virtual machines and what were coexisting on the same hardware. You know, that's an interesting approach, Richard. I, I, um, I can see the benefit in doing that. I'll also say I think it's pretty unfortunate if you can't sit down and have an honest, open, frank conversation where people don't try to deflect, you know, responsibility and place blame. I think really getting through the idea that it doesn't matter what's on the same hardware. Right. You know, and it's really easy to say, well, it must be you guys. Right. Yeah. You really you're talking about a much larger issue here than than just virtualization. Right. Now. So and sometimes you have to resort to tactics like this in order to be able to move forward, you know, despite the despite the political roadblocks. Right. We started our virtualization project small. We preferred VMware over Microsoft solutions simply because they were the leader in this area. We initially had aspirations of upgrading from VM server to ESX. Since many of our servers needed upgrading anyway from Windows 2000 to 2003 R2, we began rebuilding each server at which time we then transitioned the physical server to the new virtual environment and continued this trend for other servers. I, I can tell you that um, having extensive experience with VMware's Windows-based server, their GSX, with VMware's ESX server, and also working with the Microsoft Virtual Server products is um, is that uh, they, they're all pretty terrific stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, ESX is pretty pricey to do it, you know, in, a, in an enterprise kind of way. Funny um, you would say that because you get to that point. Oh, okay, well. Well, I'll let After you go After 12 on. months, I had rebuilt and converted approximately 50 servers to VM server. Since some of our newer e-commerce-related application products required 24 by 7 availability, we chose not to implement a clustering solution. Instead, we justified the purchase of ESX Infrastructure 3. Since ESX supports high availability right. and distributed resource scheduling, this allowed us to have the hardware redundancy and the ability to vMotion VM sessions from one physical box to another physical box with no end user interruption. Uh, we're getting we're getting a catchphrase now, so that, that's oh, pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> that's some serious voodoo you're talking about. But there, that's actually. ESX voodoo and it is pretty darn cool stuff. You know, the, the ability yeah. that built in flexibility is I mean, it's truly unique to something that you really get from this virtualized environment and it gives you the ability not only to be flexible but to be to really be really 
I guess you could sort of say agile in terms of, you know, how you configure and use your hardware to meet your specific, very detailed needs. When this gets back to his original point about that virtualization opens up a whole new window for disaster recovery. It, it sure does. And vice versa. So let me keep going here. Granted, our application is still down while we do software upgrades. We did create a clustering load balance farm to direct traffic. This allows us to down one VM from production for an upgrade. The only thing bad I have to say about VMware is that ESX is mega expensive. (laughs) Yes. In our case, we started with the ESX Acceleration Starter Kit and slowly added new ESX hosts over time. I'm hoping VMware will drop the processes once Microsoft releases its hypervisor-based product. Because there's nothing like competition for getting pricing under control. Well, it's made a... Uh, I mean, think about what is free now from yeah. VMware and Microsoft that used to cost big money. Yeah, no I mean, kidding. We started with VMware Workstation uh, and the early versions of VMware working with those, and it, it wasn't cheap. And all of that stuff that we've initially paid for, um, you, you don't even pay for today. Yeah, it's all free now. Until then, however, our VM environment totally supports our disaster recovery environment. I can easily bring VMs down and make a backup of the image. On a quarterly basis, we then take the images to our disaster site via an external NAS drive and reload them on ESX. We finally take our tape backups and restore all necessary dated files that may have been changed. So far, this process is working well for us. I plan on buying ESX Ranger to do real-time image backups once I get budget right. approval. And More money. That's in, well. There's investment to doing everything, um, you know, and but flexibility and redundancy is quite often worth worth the investment. The end result for us is that ESX has been a total lifesaver for our department and our business. I can comfortably do a software upgrade without the fear of screwing up the server and having to spend 12 hours getting it back the way it was. I can easily clone test servers or new servers from existing servers. I can easily move VMs from one physical server environment to another without reinstalling. I realize virtualization may not be the answer for all applications or environment, but it sure is something everyone should be thinking about before making their next hardware purchase or installing their next server. To get the most out of one or more ESX servers, I highly recommend purchasing a storage area network so that VMs can be migrated from machine to machine easily. Looking forward to future podcasts, David. No last name. Right. Do you think David works for VMware? <laughs> I'm thinking no. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think he does. That was a terrific email. You know, there's a yeah, lot of lengthy, great... and I hope people appreciate that we read the whole thing. Yeah. And it just sort of ties into the show that we've got here, It, it right? really does. You know, and, um, you know the, the concept of, um, you know, we, we started off with, you know, sort of the state of virtualization and talking. We've, we've done a couple of shows about virtualization. And, um, you know, David's question about, well, what about the benefits of virtualization for disaster recovery? And then you know, that's one. But the other topic that we thought, and, and, and I think we actually intend to do a show in the near future talking specifically about, you know, how can you use virtualization to do DR? Right. But today's show, we sort of, you sort of flipped those around a little bit and we're really talking about, uh, disaster recovery for virtualization environments. All right, Greg, let's introduce Bob Rautabush. Bob joined Doubletake Software as a product manager in April of 2005 and then was promoted to the Director of Solutions Engineering in January of 2006. And he's also Doubletake's chief evangelist. Prior to Doubletake, Bob was employed by the Microsoft Corporation, where he held both technical sales and consulting positions. And prior to Microsoft, Bob worked as a systems architect for an Indianapolis-based chemical manufacturing company. 
Bob has over 11 years of IT industry experience and holds multiple industry certifications, including Novell Master Certified Network Engineer, Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer, and Certified Information Systems Security Professional. He's also been named a Microsoft MVP for 2006. Welcome, Bob. Thank you very much. How are you doing, Bob? I'm great. How are you? Good, thanks. Glad to have you. Are you still in Indianapolis? I am still in Indianapolis. That's a great place. I've, I did some work down there for Subaru Zuzu eons ago. Yeah, they're just north of town there, somewhere between Indianapolis and West Lafayette. Yeah, I think it was in Lafayette, actually, now, yeah. that, now that I recall uh, there. Now, we encountered each other the first time, I guess, was back in TechEd 2007 in Orlando. You got involved with Speaker Idol. Yes, I did. What an amazing experience that was, too, Richard. It, it was uh, crazy, so this, wasn't this it? Is it was that Bob. Nuts. That's right. <laughs> oh, okay. This is that Bob, Greg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Greg was so there, too. Very now. good, very good. <laughs> What's And the talk you focused on a very interesting, it was only a five-minute talk, so there was very little time. Uh, you talked about uh, the quota system in Windows Server 2003, but that's not at all what you do for a living. No, it's not, actually. What, what is DoubleTake Software? So what DoubleTake Software, we provide disaster recovery and business continuity software, and our focus is entirely on the Windows platform, so looking at how to protect applications like Exchange and SQL or other business-critical workloads that customers might be running on their Windows servers. I can't imagine doing disaster recovery full-time. Huh. <laughs> I think that would just make me a little too paranoid. It, it's, it's interesting. You do get to see a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different customer cases out there that are... Uh, it, it, they, it keeps you going. It keeps it interesting. There's uh, you have everything from your your standard Fortune 500 company down to a an oil tanking company that uh, you have to figure out how to provide high availability for a server that's sitting on a tanker in the middle of the ocean for six months at a time. So imagine a lot of the software that you're talking about providing high availability for is even a lot of custom software, not not even just Exchange or some of the standard you know big guy platforms. Sure, I mean especially in in certain verticals like healthcare and finance that are really notorious for these custom developed applications. Sometimes it's not just as simple as, you know, protecting an Exchange server, a SQL server. It could be a .NET-based application. It could be a, uh, you know, some other sort of web-based application that they've developed internally. Sure, each with their own idiosyncrasies. Exactly. We talked about a bunch of different topics when we were going to put together this show, and obviously virtualization is king these days. Sure. And one area that really uh, piqued my interest, because I'm still not sure in my head exactly how I'm going to do all these things, which is disaster recovery for virtual machines. Sure. So you know, what's different here? I know it's still just an operating system, and is a lot of this stuff just the off-the-shelf uh, clustering options and so forth that are in Windows? It, it can be, absolutely. It's It can be a mixture of sort of the same paradigm that we applied to backing up physical servers before virtualization came along, right. along with employing different kinds of solutions like real-time data replication or, or failover to, to augment that. I think one of the biggest challenges is in terms of, of that paradigm of how we used to do backup on a physical server is we, we hear all these promises about what virtualization is going to provide. It's, it's going to allow us to better use our hardware. It's going to make things more manageable. It's going to allow us to you know, more quickly provision and, and more easily manage all of these workloads within an environment. But then what's interesting is, is when it comes to backing up those virtual machines, 
a lot of people are looking at doing it exactly the same way they've backed up physical servers for years. Load a backup agent in that virtual machine, do a backup over the wire to some sort of shared storage somewhere, and then cart that off onto a tape off-site so that you have it in case you need to be able to recover. So what frightens me about virtualization is it used to be I was worried about individual computers dying with individual services on them. Now I've got eight or 16 services on this one box. If it face plants, I have a disaster recovery nightmare in front of me. It's a good point. Absolutely. I mean, you sort of have this, you know, all your eggs are in one basket situation. Yeah. So, I mean, taking a regular backup off that machine, there's still recovery time involved. And now I've got that multiplied by 16. That's madness. I thought virtualization was going to solve all this because we just have copies of the machine everywhere and be able to fire up another one at a moment's notice. Exactly. And, and, and so if you approach it from the perspective that I'm going to back up these virtual machines just like I have physical servers, uh, you're doing that backup from, from within the virtual machine. So you're backing up that virtual machine's operating system. You're backing up its applications and its data. But what that looks like on tape off-site is really the contents of any Windows server. It's, it's not everything all bundled up in these uh, you know, virtual hard disk files and virtual machine configuration files right, that right. make it transportable. And so the whole restore process is, you're right, just as hard if we do it that way with a virtual machine as it always has been with physical servers. We have to create a new virtual machine. We have to make sure Windows is installed properly within it. We have to then load our back, you know, applications within it, our tape backup agent, restore the data from tape, and then we're back up and running. To me, to me, that really sounds like you know the the really long way around the world. Uh, you know, that is 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 the what's the right way to do this? I know there's some opinion that goes into this, but you know, what's what's the gold standard for for doing high availability disaster recovery backups of virtual machines? Sure. I mean, I think when you're talking specifically about Microsoft Virtual Server, there's there's two different approaches you could take. The first is to use some of the APIs that are built into Microsoft Windows Virtual Server uh, to either automatically put virtual machines in a saved state. So go ahead and write the contents of memory uh, to uh, you know, a swap file on, on the virtual server host, okay. put that machine as a, in a suspended state so that you have a quiesced point in time. And then, in, in, the, in that case, back up that virtual machine's virtual hard drives, their, the VHD files, as well as the virtual machine configuration files. Now, am I going to be able to do that with that server still running? Ab- absolutely not. That's sort of the downside of that. So right. the, the, the nice part is, is that, hey, I've got a copy of the, the, that virtual machine in its entirety. If I want to restore that from tape, then all I have to do is restore that to another virtual server somewhere and start it up. But it, as you said, does does mean that I have to have some downtime associated with that. I have to put that virtual machine in a, in a saved state, do my backup, and then bring it out of its saved state. And we are talking several gigabytes of a backup. Sure, absolutely. And so in our that- high availability world, we're talking about downtime. Now, of course, we could have you know redundant virtual machines running multiple web servers or in a SQL cluster. And if something went down, I suppose you could... You could uh, build it in just using standard high availability the way you do it with hardware. But So what other options are there? Obviously, if I can avoid it, I don't want to have to take a, a live server offline. Sure, absolutely. There, I believe that uh, there are a lot of different traditional tape backup solutions that are out there today that are coming out that are going to leverage things uh, like Microsoft's ability 
to use volume shadow copy services. So I believe in the in the latest release, there's there's the ability to programmatically uh, act as a VSS requester and from the host level ask you know, a, a, a VSS-aware application within a guest virtual machine to quiesce itself so that a snapshot can be taken of that virtual machine to disk files. And at that point, then we're backing up a quiesced point-in-time snapshot of that virtual machine. But that's in a future version. It's not something we've got right now. Right. I don't believe that that's something that's out today. And if I am, so this is the idea of I'm running a single instance of this app. It's running all of the time, and I want to be able to back it up without taking it down. If I've got downtime, I have no problems. If there's a four-hour window each day where it's not taking a customer load that I could shut down, do the backup. And I picked four hours arbitrarily. I'm sure the backup's sure. faster right. than that. Uh but if I'm actually got a 24-hour app, I should be running in some kind of cluster anyway. And I've got to presume the cluster is going to be between two servers uh, that each have their own VPC. So they're they're connected to each other through network as if they were standard clustered machines. It's right. You they, can actually cluster a VM, a virtual machine, between two virtual server hosts. Just don't put them both on the same box because that would be dumb. Exactly. And so at that point, you, you could, from a high availability perspective at least – if you need to perform maintenance on one host, move a virtual machine, you know, fail it over to another virtual ma- right. server host, do your maintenance, fail it back. Right. Are there any real whammies with the way that clustering works in a virtual machine? Is it somehow different, or is it just as if it was native on the on the hardware? I don't think it's it's truly different in terms of the implementation of it. You know, most a lot of the focus of the uh, R2 and, and SP, SP1 releases of, of 2005 virtual server, you know, one of the big key features was this idea of being able to cluster a virtual machine between two hosts. Right. So the, the support for that's there in the product. I think the, the challenge is, is that when you look at disaster recovery, it's really two things. One, protect the data. Two, protect the application, or in this case, the virtual machine itself. Right. Because if I've got a copy of the data, just like we talked about with a nightly tape backup that we're doing with, within the guest, there, there are two problems with that. One, I'm doing a nightly backup. If I'm talking about an, a SQL server that's acting as a back-end database for an inventory management application for a shipping company, I can't afford to lose the data between 3 p.m. in the afternoon when the server crashed and last night's backup at midnight. Sure. Right. Uh, so beyond just the, the challenges of backup windows, then we have the, this idea of RPO, the, the recovery point objective, and the fact that re- the recovery point objective of scheduled backup is, uh, in, in most cases, 24 hours. Right. And, and so the, the second piece to that is, protecting the application, which is the RTO side of it, the recovery time objective, how long it takes to get back up and running. And so in that case, again, where we're doing a tape backup within that that virtual machine, as, I, as we said earlier, you have to rebuild the VM, you have to make sure Windows is installed, you have to go through that whole process. So your recovery time becomes almost the same as if it you were running on physical hardware. There's no benefit at that point to running within a virtual machine. Those are those are good acronyms to explain too. I think when I've talked about RPO and RTO, and I just sort of throw those around, I quite often am asked, "Well, what does that mean?" And I find myself explaining that quite a bit. So that's good. Another thing that I also find myself explaining. Maybe we could jump back for just a minute. Is there's really different types of virtual disks, right? Yep. 
maybe you could explain some of that. Sometimes I think we need to make sure we get down to the nuts and bolts and make sure that we're explaining the, the underlying features that are necessary to really understand what we're talking about. What are the different types of virtual disks and what, what are the properties of those and how does that relate to disaster recovery and backup of virtual machines? Sure. So essentially one of the big benefits of a virtual machine is the fact that it is a, a self-contained uh, instance of the operating system and application and data all running within this virtualized piece of hardware and all of the data is being written to instead of a physical disk and a physical server, it's being written to a virtual disk. So in the case of Microsoft Virtual Server, it's a VHD file. Uh, and, and what that VHD file is, is it's attached to that, that, that virtual machine to the, the operating system running within that virtual machine. It looks like a standard disk that you would find in any physical server. And the operating system actually is even a part of that VHD file then. Right, absolutely. So it's within that virtual machine. It's writing and reading from the NTFS file system, which is installed on this virtual disk. So what happens at the host layer in, in terms of the, the physical machine that's running these, these VMs, uh, that all of the writes that are made from the file system to that disk within that virtual machine are virtualized into a file, into a single file, or if you want, a set of files. And, and so the big difference is really between virtualization and, and how we operated in the physical world was that at the host layer, I can take all of those virtual hard disk files and the virtual machine configuration file or the VMC file, which is what's used in virtual server to define the properties of a VM, like how many processors, how much memory, how many disks, those types of things. I can take that set of files and move those from host to host. And since the, the guest really is the guest operating system running within that virtual machine just sees those the same, whether they're running on, uh, you know, one piece of hardware or another, there, there's, there's no translation that I have to do or no reconfiguration to get that virtual machine running on a different host, even if it's running on different physical hardware. I don't know, Greg, if that, that helps sort of address the, the question that you wanted to clarify in terms of these virtual disk files. I think it does. And in, in addition to, you know, there's, they, they have different kinds of disks. I'm trying to remember some of the names. There's differencing disks and there's, uh, Oh, sure. Um, you know, different disks, even different virtual disk types that, um, that I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they do have an impact on how useful they are in terms of your ability to, in other words, do I have to shut down the system completely and tell it to save all data or does it do it automatically right. for me? That type of thing. Yeah, there are a very variety of, of different virtual hard disks within the, the virtual server product. There's a, a standard um, static size virtual hard disk, which you define when you set up the virtual machine and you say, uh, this this file or this disk that I'm presenting to this virtual machine is going to be 16 gigabytes in size. And what happens is the host pre-allocates that 16 gigabytes on the file system for that VHD file. Gotcha. There, there's a dynamically expanding virtual hard disk, which is another option, which uh, you still define that hard disk to that guest operating system or that guest VM as a 16 gigabyte disk. The difference is, is that when that virtual machine's created, the operating system at the host level does not go ahead and pre-allocate that 16 gigabyte of disk space. It basically sets up uh, you know, a, a sparse file to start with, and then as data is written into it, it dynamically grows the size of that VHD file. 
the the biggest difference between those two, of course, the the benefit of using a dynamic virtual hard disk is is that I can define I can tell a virtual machine that it has 16 gigabyte worth of disk space to use, and if it only uses five, then I'm saving in, on on the amount of storage I have to have on that host attached to that host. The the downside, of course, is is that it has a performance impact. So as changes are made within the guest virtual machine, and it requires the host to dynamically expand the size of that VHD file, it's going to impact the performance. Right. Um, the benefit, of course, to a statically uh, sized VHD is, is that there there is none of that performance overhead of having to to manage expanding that VHD file out. But neither one of these seem to impact backup all that much. I don't think so so much in terms of if if you're taking the traditional route of backing up within the guest virtual machine, because then it doesn't matter whether it's a statically sized or a dynamically uh, sized VHD, that we're still backing up the same amount of data. I think where there's impact is, is backing up from the host level. So if I've allocated 16 gigabytes to a VM and I'm using a dynamic virtual hard disk, then I may only need to back up about six gigabytes of actual data. Right. So the the smaller the the data set that I have to back up at the host level, the shorter that that the the narrower that backup window becomes, the faster I'm able to do my backups and my restores to get that VM back up and running. I think part of what I was thinking too was you know we, there is the ability to do differencing. I think they call them differencing virtual yeah. hard disks, and you know where you can have a single VHD um, that can be accessed by multiple virtual servers, if you will. No, absolutely, and I think that would have a similar impact in terms of you know backing up from the host at the, at the host level in terms of streamlining that process so for the the listeners that may not understand how a differencing disk works essentially uh, what a differencing disk allows you to do is take an, a pre-created VHD file that already has data within it say uh, a good a common example is you might create a virtual machine you might install windows within that virtual machine and then you might use the sysprep utility to uh, take all the, you know, the SID and the uniquely identifiable information out of it so that you can clone it. At that point, you would then shut down that virtual machine, and now you have a virtual hard disk that contains an installed copy of Windows that's been sysprepped, and in terms of, you know, copying that or cloning it, it's as simple as really making a copy of that virtual hard disk, and now you have two virtual machines with Windows pre-installed and ready to go, ready to be set up through the through the mini setup process from SysPrep. To leverage the differencing disks, what you can do is, is you can create a new virtual machine, for example, uh, and tell that virtual machine that it's going to have one hard disk assigned to it, one virtual hard disk assigned to it, but that that virtual hard disk is going to be a differencing disk. And, and what you would then do is set up a parent-child relationship that says that differencing disk's parent is this pre-canned, pre-installed Windows VHD that I've already created and sysprepped. And any changes that that VM makes from that point forward should be installed in that differencing disk that we've created just for that VM. And so what happens is, is that uh, any, of the, any, of, any of the data that's within that, that original VHD that we created, that parent that the virtual machine needs, it can use, it can leverage, it sees it as one contiguous disk, but if it needs to make changes, it doesn't make those changes to that parent. It makes that, those changes to its differencing disk, its child disk, 
that's associated with that VM. So it's all the information that makes it unique, that instance of the of the machine, if you exactly. Will. And so, just like you said, then at that point, you could, for example, uh, lot, I use this a lot for development and test. Is I'll go ahead and create this uh, parent disk image that's a sysprep Windows installation with the service pack pre-installed and everything, and then I can very quickly start up new virtual machines, each with a differencing disk. All of those virtual machines point to that original VHD file. So if you had, I mean, hypothetically, a web farm that where you had some pretty basic machines, you needed to be able to bring up multiple of these. You wanted to be able to, you know, this is your production environment, and that's the method you're using for you're creating, you know, identical machines, each with their own identity, if you will. But from a backup standpoint, now you have differencing disks or and, and the undo disks, that if you use undo disks for that, that you may sure. need to back up as well. And in terms of a backup, then... I don't really need to worry about backing up that parent disk. All I need to back up is the changes that that virtual machine has created to get unique from the rest of them. Right. You could have 100 uh, server instances back up the parent disk once and then just worry about backing up those delta files, if you will, the differencing, the differencing disk files for each it dramatically machine. reduces the amount of data that you have to worry about backing up and restoring in the case of a recovery process. Right, which saves you not only space but, of course, time. Now, in some of the fancier uh, SAN devices, they have snapshotting as well. Right, do syncs and splits and whatnot. That's a good yeah. point. A good point. I, I'm just, and I thought that was a very interesting idea, and they pitched that as a backup feature that, hey, you can do a live backup of this drive. I'm just worried that if I actually had to restore from that backup what the state of the virtual machine would be when I brought it up. I think it's a good good point. I know that I, I've certainly used, you know, SAN capability to do, you know, split a volume uh, so you have your mirrored copy and back that up. So what what does that mean in the in the virtual disk world? Well, again, it sort of goes back to, to the example we, we talked about earlier, which is the only way to absolutely guarantee that I have a consistent point in time is to take that virtual machine, put it in a saved state where I know that no changes are being written to that disk, right. and then make a backup of that file. So if I haven't done that saved state operation before I split those cloned LUNs on the SAN, for example... It, there, there is some potential that I might not be able to bring up that virtual machine or that I might be uh, missing some data that hadn't been committed before I, I, I split those two LUNs apart. You know what's really evil is that I bet that would test perfectly because <laughs> odds are your test environment wouldn't be doing much when you fired the test. So you, you, do, your, you do your split, you do your snap. You shut the whole thing down, you bring the snap up, and it's just fine. But in a real-world environment where that machine was frantic before it failed, goodness knows what the state of the backup was. Sure, you have locks on a database or all kinds of stuff that could I, take I just can think of so many bad things going on that you'd bring it up and it would just barf. You know? but, on the, but on the other hand, too, I mean, this is sort of where the opinion piece comes in, in, into, into play as well, is that I find it really hard to believe that when Microsoft built uh, the, the virtual hard disk specification and built Virtual Server 2005 and put that on the market, that there wouldn't be some way for them to be able to at least guarantee crash consistency of those VHD files. Right. If I were to you know go through the data center and kick a power cord or have a power failure or have somebody accidentally turn off the wrong box in the data center, I would want to make sure that if I turned that machine right back on and started up those virtual machines that, yeah, we may have to go through a check disk process to, to make sure everything's in the place it's supposed to be, that but that the data within those virtual machines is consistent. 
And and that's sort of the, the principle that anything that, that is doing a host-level backup, like you said, for example, uh, cloning LUNs on a SAN and, and splitting them off, that's, I guess, the principle that, that those solutions are built on. It seems to me that I guess the depending on how you build your application and what it is that you're virtualizing, that a lot of the time, certainly for a strong database-driven application that, you know, that you're, you may not necessarily be running your, a big database server on virtual machines, but you may take, if it's a web-based application on the internet or an intranet application, maybe you would virtualize all those web servers, maybe sure. not necessarily the database server. So I, I think that the type of data that you're working with and what, what kind of behavior you could have in terms of even just being able to, if I have a web farm of 10, 10 web front ends, you know, I could probably take two offline at a time to, to commit the changes and then, you know, automatically script it to, to commit the changes and start back up and then take the next two offline or, or whatever. Sure. So that I could back those up with the database server. It's a little more complicated. Right. And, and again, I mean, to, to this point in the conversation, we've talked almost entirely about traditional backup. Right. And, right. and so, you, you know, one of the things that, that, companies are, are starting to leverage are things like real-time data replication. Uh, and there, you know, there's a couple of different flavors of it. Of course, we have our Double Take for Windows product, and that's our flavor of, of real-time data replication for Windows. And, and what that does is for those back-end servers, whether they're running in a virtual machine or a physical machine, allows you to do byte-level replication as those changes are made from within each guest virtual machine and replicate that data across a wide area network to your disaster recovery site. So, so talk a little more detail. How does how does that work? Sure. Um, it, it, it's probably first important to understand why you why you would want to do that, and and sure. why tape backup, which we've talked about to this point, are periodic backups since a lot of those solutions are disk based now rather than tape based. Why those solutions might not cut it? And I think, Greg, that example you gave of. Uh, a three-tier, standard three-tier application where you have a client layer, you have a, a middle tier layer that has the business logic within it, and then you're storing your data statefully in a back-end database. Right. That's a perfect example of you know, why you want to mix and match technologies because that, that middle layer, that application layer, is really three or four Windows-based IIS servers with some .NET you know, code loaded on them to run the business logic and maybe the the presentation layer for my web-based application. And so that data really doesn't change very often throughout the course of a day. Or at least we hope it doesn't. We, at least we hope it doesn't. Hopefully <laughs> we've got, you know, change control methodologies in place to keep our developers from just willy-nilly making changes. And proper security to keep other people from making changes. Right. right. And, and so for those workloads, tape backup is probably fine. Because if even if my server crashes at 3 in the afternoon, I'm assuming that there aren't going to be a whole lot of changes that have occurred between 3 in the afternoon and last night's backup. That back-end database is entirely different. That's really where real-time data replication comes into play because if I did have a crash at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and I had to recover that SQL database from last night at midnight when the backup finished, then I'm going to lose 15 hours worth of data. But, I mean... Databases are a bad example, I think, for this because they've got a whole lot of infrastructure in place to protect themselves from that already with their transaction logs and clustering and replication solutions. Do we really need to fix a database? Well, we do if we lose an entire site. Right. So it's, so it's not so much from the perspective that I'm going to have some sort of corruption or I'm going to have a change that was really unwanted and I want to be able to revert back. It's more from the really that true big D disaster recovery scenario 
where I have a flood or a fire or a hurricane or a tornado. The smoking hole in the ground scenario. Right. Exactly. And so in that smoking hole in the ground scenario, uh, what you want to have is, at the very least, to take backup of those middle tier application servers so that you can restore those virtual machines at your DR site. But then you probably also want to have uh, a copy of the data that was living in that SQL database on, on the back end. And when you're and, talking about recovery time objectives, synchronizing data and multiple data centers, depending on how you do it, you could you could have a, a smoking hole in the ground with one data center and your customers not even notice. Absolutely. And that, that's really what, what we uh, deploy for our customers, which is if you take that, let's just say for the sake of argument, since we're talking about virtualization, that that three-tier application with my back-end SQL and my middle-tier uh, business logic, those were all virtual machines. And I might choose to do a, a, a nightly backup to disk of, uh, of those uh, middle-tier virtual machines and, and maybe you know, replicate those off-site uh, for DR purposes. But within that SQL virtual machine that's running on the back-end, I would load uh, a data replication software solution within that virtual machine it would replicate byte-level changes to another running virtual machine at a different location with SQL, for example, installed but not running. And then what you end up with is an exact byte-for-byte copy of that SQL data in both locations. And your recovery time objective no longer is reprovision a VM, reinstall the software, go get your tape backup. Your, your, your RTO, your recovery process in that case is start up the SQL services, automate, you know, redirecting users to that new system, either via DNS or active directory changes, and people are back up and running in a matter of minutes. Can make a pretty substantial difference. Sure. All right, guys, I think we're getting close to the end, but I, so far we've only talked about Microsoft Virtual Service. Should we bring up VMware a bit? Is there anything really different in the scenario for VMware? In, in terms of VMware versus Microsoft Virtual Server, when we're talking about doing, whether it's traditional tape-based backup with agents within the guest virtual machine or deploying something like double tape for Windows within each uh, virtual machine, Windows and the applications within it don't look any different within a Microsoft Virtual Machine as they, as they do from a VMware Virtual Machine. So from a guest-based protection perspective, I, I don't think there's a huge difference. Right. Now, when we talk about host-based protection, I think that the biggest difference today is that uh, within the VMware ESX product and their Virtual Infrastructure 3 bundle, uh, they do have APIs for doing things like snapshotting a virtual machine. Oh. So you, you can, for example, put a virtual machine in snapshot mode that will that will make the original virtual disk file read-only and then track any changes going forward to a, a separate file, what they call a Delta file. Oh, I see. So then you're able to back up the base file, which was up to the moment you said go into snapshot mode. Yes. And then turn off the snapshot mode and all that Delta gets loaded onto the main file again. So you've got now a real-time live backup. System's never down. You're able to snap a copy. Exactly. Of it. That snapshot then you could load up and fire up as a new machine and know with confidence that you're good to go. Right. And then and that's definitely the direction that Microsoft's going in terms of their use of the you know, volume shadow copy service. Right. So, the, I mean, the reality here is VMware is still a step ahead of Microsoft in those terms. A, a, a little bit. And then the impact in terms of third-party software companies like us 
is that we can then build solutions on top of that snapshot API within right. ESX server. So we have a product that's specifically for ESX server that essentially automates the creation of those snapshots and replicates uh, those Delta files off-site and applies them to a second copy of that virtual machine. So if you, if you can imagine the scenario to put a virtual machine in snapshot mode, create an initial copy of that virtual disk, take the Delta file that is created and also replicate it across the WAN to another site, right. and then apply that Delta file in both places, what you end up with, if you do that over and over and over again, is an identical copy of that virtual machine in both locations. So like a near real-time replication of the entire machine. Exactly. And near real-time is a, a great way to, to coin that because it's not going to be real-time replication within that guest operating system. It's going to be schedule-based snapshots. Yeah, you're going to be doing it at an interval. Exactly. And so that's great for, again, that, that second tier of you know, applications running within VMs that right. you, don't, you don't have to worry about a lot of data changing within 15 right. minutes. Or 30 minutes or an hour. You don't want those velocities to be too high, but you're now talking about sh very short-time recoveries. Even if you do have a data gap, you're back up in a very short time. Sure. And then since you are replicating the actual virtual disk files and virtual machine configuration files, you know the RTO that Greg talks about really is a matter of importing that virtual machine at the remote site and starting it up. Right. It's pretty hot. I mean, the uh, the, the ability to to do replication, to streamline all of that, and to really trim down those time objectives, there, there's a lot of value in that. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, I think I'm going to have to call it a show. Uh, I do think we've run a disaster recovery for virtualization to the ground. <laughs> that was a good one. It was a very interesting conversation. Oh, it was, definitely. I can't believe it's it's been time up already. Yeah, already. And I know we want to talk about virtualization for disaster recovery at some point. Or is that disaster recovery virtualization? I keep switching them up. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll have you back again, Bob, and we'll go back into this in a different direction. All right, Richard, Greg, thanks very much for having me on the podcast, and I appreciate the opportunity. It's been fun. Thanks, Bob. Thanks a lot, Bob. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Run As Radio.